You were chosen, and I'm going to say tonight, you were chosen to make a choice. You've been chosen to make a choice. And the choice that I'm going to lay before you tonight is one that will alter the rest of your life. Anybody here desire life change? Two people? Man, I want, I want, I want my life to be changed. Like I am so dissatisfied this side of eternity, and I think that's the wrestle that I'm going to be in for the rest of my days until I'm at home with the Lord. Like, I, I wish I prayed more. I wish I loved more. I wish I spoke words of encouragement more. Like, there's this, I'm just like this wrestle with the flesh and the spirit. And so, I'll ask again, does anybody want their life to be changed? Like, I, because I believe that that's what God intends for tonight. I believe that's actually why you chose to come here, was for life change. Like, nobody, just thought like, well, I don't, I don't have any plans. So I guess, I'll, I guess out of all the universe of possibilities, this is what I'll do. But I think you're here because you wanna worship the Lord and you desire and worship of him that you in turn would be changed from one degree of glory to another, that you would reflect Christ. And so you are the accumulation of millions of choices. Like who you are, with the primary being if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you and your life are an accumulation of all of your choices. And some of them are like such small choices, like whether you decided to wear the black shirt or the white shirt tonight. Some of you are like the accumulation of choices of whether you decided to brush your teeth and now you're like, oh, singing your heart out beside that girl and you wish you wouldn't have. Some of you chose to sit where you're sitting because you're beside that girl. You, cho you chose that and she doesn't know it yet, but you know it. And some of you are like, man, I wish I would have, but I didn't yet because she's, she's godly and I want to know her. But it's all choices. There's some people who, who aren't here because they chose not to come. You invited them and they made a choice. And maybe now they're getting ready to go out and get wasted or go home with that guy. And, and it's just, it's all choices. And some of the choices that I made in my life led to an accumulation of who I was because from 13 to 30, I was a drunk. I chose that like, man, I just want to be liked and I got some pain in my life. And frankly, I, I like the feeling of being numbed out. And so I chose alcohol and I was an alcoholic and, and that wasn't enough and so it was weed and pills. But it wasn't just that, I mean, I'd love to leave it at that, but it was also porn and masturbation and it was going to strip clubs. And, and just like chasing the money and world and status and everything you find in your 20s that is screaming at you, being fed to you by the world like, man, this is the way, and it's the way to death. Because at the end of, of all of those choices, I had heard sin leads to death, and I was like, whatever. And then there I was with a shotgun to my head, and I was living on a couch, and I'd lost everything because of my choices. But then I made a choice. It was the choice that I'm gonna give you tonight. I made one singular choice. And now I'm 16 years sober. I made one choice and I've never smoked or seen weed since. I made one choice, I've never looked at porn or masturbated again since. I made a choice and I went from like seeking the girl that I could take home to the girl that I could walk home, heavenly home with. I made a choice and I stopped living for my glory instead for God's glory. I made a choice and I stopped living for the accumulation of wealth and instead like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling but I think I'm after heavenly riches. 
because of a choice. And so now I'm in this crazy twist of events that only God can do. I'm now a pastor and sober and married and three kids and y'all were crazy enough to invite me here. Like, what am I doing here? But it's because of a choice. And it's the same choice that you'll be given tonight. I believe that you were chosen, as Jared just said, as the scriptures proclaim, and in being chosen, you now have a choice. And if you choose, your life will never be the same, ever, in every single area. And I can testify to this, but the scriptures do as well. And so what I wanna tell you about this, this choice is that, well, we'll start here. Tonight, my, uh, we were at dinner, and my wife, Laura, you know, I, I know what she likes. So out of all the Springfield restaurants, I would have gone to Mexican Villa, like blindfolded, I'll find my way to National Avenue, that OG Mexican Villa that I don't know how they pass health code regulations every year, but they're like the cat with nine lives, except it's like 60 decades. Anyway, uh, that's where I would have gone, no question. And she's like, no, 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 I know my wife. I know what she would choose. I'm like, let's go get steak. So we got steak. Here we are in Missouri, we're getting steak. I'm like, you know, we're home in Mexican Villa, but we get steak. And why say that? Because um, where would you say Missouri ranks in like livestock production? Like I didn't, I didn't see livestock production coming. I didn't know we were going there. Where would you, where would you guess? Anybody? Seven, eight, nine, or we're dropping. We're dropping quick. You're like, I don't see many cows. You're third. Missouri is the third. You're like, yay for cows. That's right. If, here, fun fact, because I like going down the rabbit hole of facts. If you have 150,000 more cattles in Missouri, cattles, is that a word? Cattle. Uh, you'll beat Oklahoma and you'll be in number two. 150. Guys, we could do that tonight. Everybody get online, buy a cow. Buy it from Oklahoma. We'll meet in the middle. Then we only need 75,000. But I grew up here. I'm, I'm from Missouri. And uh, so there we are. She made that choice. We're eating steak. And I'm like, I know you like this because I know you as my wife, but also because your parents have a cattle ranch. So her parents, my in-laws, they've got this ranch, but it's like so stereotypical Texas. But they do, and they have longhorn cattle. And we're out there one, one weekend, and her grandfather, who was dying of cancer, I say was because now he's dead. <laughs> it just, just is. Uh, he was out there, and uh, you're going to feel bad here in a second, whoever laughed. <laughs> he, he busts out this guitar. I didn't even know he played the guitar. And we're all sitting there like, his kids, who's my father-in-law, wife, grandkids, my wife and all her brothers, then great-grandkids, so family affair, and he breaks out this guitar. I was like, what is going on? He had cancer, and I think, I think with that, he's like thinking what he can pass down, and he says, hey, I want to play you guys a song. And uh, he starts tuning it, and I'm like, we call him Daw. That's what D-A, Daw. That's what... Uh, my wife, Laura, she was the firstborn. That's what she called him because she couldn't say grandpa, so she said Daw. So I was like, Daw, I didn't know you even played the guitar. And he's like, oh yeah, my, my friend taught me how to play. He's, uh, you know, my friend who plays in the Bog Riders. I was like, the what? 
is like the bog riders. And he's missing teeth, you know, he's 92 years old. And I'm like, I'm sorry, the what? He's like, the bog riders. Do you not know what a bog rider is? He looks at me like I'm stupid. Has anyone here heard of a bog rider? Thank you. I was like, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you've never heard of a bog rider? The bog rider is the most important job of the cowboy. I'm like, well, I don't know how I made it through all my life without hearing about this. I was like, do tell. And he's like, well, John, the bog rider is the most important job because they save the cows. You see, the cows, after a hard rain, will go down to get a drink of water from all the watering holes, and as they step, their hooves are going into the mud, but they're getting deeper and deeper because that stirs up the muddy, dirty water, so they have to go deeper and deeper. And pretty soon, they've, they've got the water, but the water's got them, and they're stuck. And then, after a few hours, the birds of death, vultures, buzzards, start swirling above because they know that cow's not getting out. Like, that's, that's it. They're there. They will remain there, and we get breakfast. And so the cowboy, as he scans the horizon, sees the vultures and knows that there's either some kind of kill, but if he knows the, the areas of the water holes, he mounts up on his horse, rides all of the watering holes to find the cows that are stuck in the bog, B-O-G. That is what a bog rider is. Now when he finds the cow, he can't just like lasso it, tie it to the horse and back it out because it would literally break its neck. It's like, it's, it's neck deep into the mud. And so what the cowboy has to do is get off the horse with a small like little two foot shovel, get into the mud and on either side of the horse, he's just like digging out beside the cow. And then with the rope, ties it to the saddle of the horse, gets the, how, the horse to back up as he's continuing to shovel out. The cowboy is now covered in this mud and the cow goes free and can be reunited with the rest of the, the herd. And then the cowboy goes back to the chuck wagon, the mess hall, wherever it is, and there he is just covered in not only the mud but the filth having saved this and he's the laughing stock of all the other cowboys when actually what he did was go to save the cow and cared more about the cow than about himself. And then my great, my, my grandfather dying of cancer, who is an agnostic, pantheistic, animistic, like he thinks God's in nature and deer, like just kind of this whack theology, does not believe in Jesus. He looks at me with tears in his eyes and he said, you know, John, my friend tells me that Christ is the great bog rider. And I was like, duh, he is. He rescued me out of my bog of alcoholism. He is the great bog rider, and I hope one day you'll call upon him. And that was it. He went on to play his song. He died. Now you feel bad, don't you? Just kidding. That wasn't as funny as I thought. You're like, no, it's not funny. Christ, the great bog rider. So I get my phone out. I've got my ESV Bible app. And I'm like, bog. I wonder if the word bog is in the Bible. I do a search. It is in the Bible. One singular time. The word bog. B-O-G. Bog. I was like, what are the odds? Psalm 40, the title of the psalm is called My Help and My Deliverer. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The actions of David that he has there are waiting and crying, waiting and crying. He's crying out, and then he steps secure, and he praises God. He testifies to his deliverance in the presence of others, this new song. And as a result, the actions of God, he hears the cries. He's listening like the great bog rider would, listening for the cries of those who are stuck. He draws them up from the bog, the pit of destruction, making their steps secure, giving them a new song in their mouth. And then, as if it's not enough just to save them, moving others to see, fear, and put their trust in God. Christ, the great bog rider. And so I would say everyone here, you have either been in a bog or you are in a bog. Because you can trust in Jesus and still be in a bog. You can be at this conference holding up your hands, Jesus, we exalt you with the heavens, and be addicted to porn. You can be at this conference having trusted in Christ and still be sleeping with your boyfriend. You can, you can be at this conference, have a trusted at Christ, and still have that eating disorder, still struggle with that debilitating control, still have that same-sex attraction, though you don't act on it, but you're looking at images online and flirting with it on various websites. You can still have every single struggle having still trusted in Christ. I think sometimes Christ gets us out of the bog, and we go back into it but he's not angry. He's not like, I saved you from that. So now you're on your own. You know what? I rescued you out of that. You get yourself out. But he is a shepherd and he lives, it says, to intercede for us, intercede for us. And so this is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the bog, we were in the bog of sin, whatever your flavor was, we were dead in it, the birds of death swirling above us, except already dead, being devoured by sin and Satan, following the world, and here comes Christ to save us from our sin, having placed our faith in him for the forgiveness of sins, believing in our heart that he died for us and rose again, confessing with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and like Psalm 40 says, doesn't just give us a better song, he gives us a new song. He will not make you better, he'll make you new. It's what he lives to do. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of you are like, man, I don't, that video, I don't have a testimony like that guy. You know, I, I grew up in church, my, I placed my faith in Jesus when I was four, I don't really have a good testimony. Man, that is a lie. I wish that my children would have that testimony. I want them to have your testimony if that's your story and not mine. That they would walk with God from an early age and be neither Pharisee nor prodigal, but just follow him. 
And then others of you are like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like got so much junk in my life. I'm, I'm too far gone. How could anybody ever love me, especially someone who's holy and just? There's a man who was named Jeffrey Dahmer. Anyone, have you heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? Everybody has heard of Manson. Like, Dahmer doesn't get as much press. He was, when I was in high school, Dahmer happened. He happened. He was a mass murderer. And what he would do is drug, well, he would lead uh, same-sex strugglers back to his apartment, drug them, kill them, rape them, dismember them, and then eat them in that order. I think there were, I mean, there were over a dozen victims until one fled out of his apartment leading to his arrest and imprisonment. They're doing like a Dateline interview and some little old lady sitting there watching uh, the reporter interview Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer, and like <laughs> telling of all the gruesome acts. And the little old lady, instead of being like, that filthy, wretched man, turn off the TV, she said, that, that man needs Jesus, and started praying for him, and drove to the city where he lived in to give him a Bible. Then a pastor in that local town starts meeting with Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven because this pastor led him to Christ, brought a cattle trough into the, into the prison, and he was baptized. He said, like, I deserve wrath. I deserve the wrath of God, the justice of God because of what I've done. But if the offer of forgiveness in Jesus Christ is true, then I receive it, though I don't deserve it. The pastor's like, that's exactly what it is, and none of us deserve it. And so Jeffrey Dahmer and his bog if that bog of death was not too great for Christ to ride upon, take Dahmer's sin upon him and pull him out and drag him into heaven, then it doesn't matter what you've done. And everywhere, both the four-year-old man I've trusted in Jesus since an early age and Jeffrey Dahmer and everywhere in between, that is a good testimony. Because the testimony isn't about us, it's about Jesus the great bog rider who pulls us out of sin no matter what degree because it doesn't matter. The four-year-old was dead in his or her sin and a slave to sin and Satan, as was Dahmer. It's just a time issue. The sin and the depravity still in each. And so the, the testimony that we have is to share with others it says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, and as a result, many will see and fear and will put their trust in the Lord. I think uh, we get into trouble when we're alone, right? There was, um, at my in-law's ranch, there was a, a cow, a, a young one, like a yearling that had gotten out, like out of the pen. And the mom, I mean, these longhorns are over 1,000 pounds, was freaking out. And we didn't want to get near it because, I mean, they'll, they'll throw you or charge you. And so we're just watching this go down, and the mom, just like as loud as she can, was beyond what you would consider a moo. And the, the, the yearling's just wandering. And finally, we corral the yearling back in, open up the gate, it gets back in, shut it. And this mom, rather than like, you know, you'd think, what's it going to do? Like, kind of rub up against it or lick it? Like, what's a sign of affection for a longhorn to a yearling? The mom starts running it down like horns, like trying to toss it, and is just after it. 
not to hurt it. We were watching it, we're like, oh man, she's like letting him have it. Like, he's not gonna do that again. And that is precisely what she, because she knew like, hey, outside of the fence is where the coyotes and the hogs and the bogs and, and anything that would kill the cliffs and ravines, like you go outside the fence, it's death. But here with us, you're safe. And I think sometimes we come to this conference as we experience the, the power and the presence of God through the people of God, and then we go back out and we live in isolation like that yearling that gets out. And we've got to remain with the people of God to be safe because that's a provision that God's given us. But here's the thing. I'm thinking about this bog rider thing that, that my grandfather-in-law tells me about. And I'm reading about David, and he says, you rescued me out of a miry pit, out of a miry bog, put a new song in my mouth, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. David was a keeper of livestock. I mean, he was a, by all practical terms, he was a rancher. Like, that's what he did before he was king. Like, when Samuel came to anoint him, he was out with the sheep, like, Oh, he was writing in a symbolic sense what he had done for his sheep. I think he was recollecting what he had done as he saw sheep in a miry bog and were stuck. And he's like, just as I would rescue those sheep, and I'm now covered in it, I've taken their sin upon me, like Jesus, like now he's down in the mud pulling out this sheep and setting the feet on solid ground on a rock and goes from like the crying, the wailing to now like reunited, like whatever a happy sheep sounds like. Like he's watched all of that. He, he has inclined his ear as they cried, as the sheep waited patiently crying like there's no way unless David comes, unless that young shepherd boy comes like this is it, birds of death. And he enters into it. I think David's writing out of personal experience. I think he did it one time, covered in all of that, sets it down, and then God struck him. as like, that's what I did for you, David. I rescued you out of the miry bog. And it like opened my eyes anew to the fact. And in case you're like, wait, Christ the great bog rider, good story, but is he really? Like, does the Bible actually say that? Yes, Hebrews 13. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. It's like Scripture is screaming. I mean, we were told, like, we're his sheep. His sheep know his voice. There's all this sheep imagery. It says, you're the, the flock of God. Like, and here it is. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And it's as if God's saying, like, hey, don't you think that he won't do it sometime? Like, he brought him back from the dead. So there's nothing that can keep him from you. Like, no bog is too deep, too wide, too anything to keep Jesus from going in after you. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He is, Christ is, the great bog rider. But it didn't stop there. 
and it got back to where I'm going to give you the choice. It didn't stop there. So I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Like, I think, I think actually David probably wrote this before his king days. I think he was writing this in his shepherd days when he's sitting there with the harp and the sheep and rescuing from lion and bear. I think when he was like caring for the livestock, that's when he wrote this. And then my mind was like blown again as I'm like thinking about it more. I'm like, oh my goodness. Not a single one of those sheep survived. Now he saved them. David saved them because that's what a shepherd does. But he saved them so that they would be sacrificed. You see, they they didn't raise sheep for pets. They were used at Passover, at the tabernacle. They were used as, as something that people would eat. It was, a, it was a sacrifice paramount at the Passover as a reminder of the deliverance of God. They were saved to be sacrificed, which is kind of crazy. Like, wait, what? you saved me from death, and now you're handing me over to death. And they would have been And as best as he could have attempted, like spotless and without blemish and not injured or wounded, like he would have cared for them only to surrender them to to be slaughtered and offered up as a sacrifice. Like that's kind of wild, except for the fact that it's exactly what Jesus did. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is crazy. So in, in Psalm 40, verse 6, In Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews pulls from Psalm 40, verse 6, and it says, when Christ entered the world, because Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. He has always been. He took on flesh. When Christ came into the world, and then he starts quoting Psalm 40, and he says, a body you have prepared for me, sacrifices and offerings you did not delight in, but a body you have prepared for me, I have come to do your will. Because the body that was prepared for him, he was born to die. He took on flesh to sacrifice his life that we might live. Like, that's why. So his sacrifice meant our salvation. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world for us for us. He saved, David saved those sheep for sacrifice. And so the rest of the Hebrews 13 verse says this, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good, why? That you may do his will. You have been saved to do his will. It says in Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, I'm not mine anymore. I rather now live for the will of God. The great shepherd of the sheep has rescued me out of my bog of sin and then set me loose again into this world to do his will, not my will, to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ means you don't do this on your own effort. You don't walk out of here and be like, okay, I get it. I gotta live for God. I do God's law. I do exactly what he says. By my own strength, you will fail over and over and over again. 
unless it is through Jesus Christ that he would be the power moving through you because he rescues you and then he continues this work in you, which is your sanctification. And so I said tonight you were gonna receive a choice. You were chosen just like the lamb stuck in the bog. You were chosen by the great bog rider Christ and now you have a choice and the choice will change your life just like it did mine. And so what's the choice? Your life was saved by a savior who chose to sacrifice his life for you. And so the question is, will you now use your life as a sacrifice for him? He sacrificed his life for you, will you now sacrifice your life for him? Just like those lambs that David would save only to be later sacrificed. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, that you would have the full abundant life. It says in Romans 8 that life according to the spirit, the mindset in accordance with the spirit is life and peace. And I think a lot of times as we're going through life, it's like, well, this sure doesn't feel like the abundant life. And I don't have life and I don't have peace. It's like, yeah. Yeah, because you're living for your will still. You're still returning to the bog. Whatever bog, your flavor that you go to, like, of course, of course you're not. Like, because you're not with the great shepherd. You have, you have wandered astray. And the invitation tonight is that you would give your life for him. You are the lamb of Psalm 40. You have been saved, but you have been saved to be sacrificed. And don't take my word for it. Here it is straight from Romans 12, verse 1. So Paul, in the, in the book of Romans, creates this line of no one is without excuse by all that has been created, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and that none can be justified apart from him, and that we are saved by faith, and that Adam entered in sin and death, but by the second Adam, Jesus came life, and that we were slaves to sin, that's six, but we can now be slaves to righteousness, but now seven is like, but, but man, I still wrestle with the flesh, and why do I do what I don't want to do? And then eight says, but if you're children of God, you're led by the Spirit of God, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God, and who is there left to condemn? Because Jesus Christ, our advocate, is our defender and then 9, 10, and 11, what about those who have been hardened and have rejected Christ? And he's like, there will be a time when even those who have rejected him, the Jews who have said, no, he's not the Messiah, they'll be grafted into, and don't boast because you've chosen him, even though they haven't yet. Instead, pray for them. And then you get to 12. After all the building of God exists, depravity of man, justification by faith, then you get here, and he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, that he saved you out of that bog of certain eternal death. I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, which means entirely set apart to God. In the Old Testament, the things that were in the temple and the tabernacle that were holy, you didn't use them for like when your friends come over for dinner and you're shooting hoops or whatever you do. Like it's like they're holy, they're only for God. 
Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, holy and thus pleasing to God. Then this wrap-up, tie bow at the end, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. The Greek word for the word spiritual in that passage is logikos. What does logikos sound like? Logical. Logic. Logical. He says, in view of all the mercies of God, of 1 through 11, now we get to 12, and he says, so, so therefore, this, the only logical thing that makes sense that he saved you from sin, death, and Satan is that you'd say, it's all yours. It is all yours. You get my time, my mind, my body, my friendships, my relationships, my money, my computer, my phone, what I do, how I spend, where I go, what I think about, if I take a double glance or not. Like, it's all yours. It's the only logical response. And that's your choice tonight. It is the choice that is before you tonight is will you give your life as a living sacrifice. <laughs> three nights ago, my, uh, we've got three kids, our four-year-old, I, I inclined and heard his cry, like in Psalm 40. I'm, I'm asleep, it's like 4 a.m., and I hear this like, rah, rah. I mean, sounds like he got in a knife fight. And uh, like, go through the door, Laura's sound asleep. That's a different sermon, but I'm like, I got it. Bust open his door, and I see him like in a cocoon almost. He's like, there's this uh, <laughs> a sheet all around him, and he's like fighting against it, but he's in it, like his knees are on it, all his body weight, and so he's like trapped uh, in this like bubble of sheet and can't get out. And I'm like, just like rip the sheets off and wrap him up in a big hug. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy, it's okay. He had fallen out in the night. And when I say that we got some things to deal with, like our sin and our bogs, just like Judd couldn't get out of the sheet, you can't get out of your sin. So as I give you this choice, like, hey, to, to cast off all those things and to say, Lord, I've trusted you as Savior, now I'm trusting you as Lord, you're my master. I'm just telling you again, you can't do it, but God can. He begins the work, he continues the work, he'll finish the work. And so even in this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your lives as a spiritual act of worship, even that is like, it's this prayer of faith of like, God, you get it all. You have saved all of me, now you get all of me. Right now, you know, the, the war in Ukraine, we, were, we had breakfast today at Rise, and uh, I'm talking to the owner, and she's from Ukraine, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, and we start having a conversation, and then... Eventually, we started talking about faith, um, JP from last night, and I, and she was a believer. And as we're th talking about the war, I was like, well, hey, it looks like things have turned. Like, I think things are moving in favor of Ukraine. Now, the, frankly, the whole world almost is against, as far as provision, pushing back Russia. And um, she was like, yeah, I'm really hopeful. And I, I read a news article recently about the Russian soldiers. And the Russian soldiers, a huge reason why they're getting pushed back by the Ukrainians so much is because they're so undisciplined. They were in one of these Russian towns training, and the townspeople by 10 a.m. would not go out of their houses. 
because all the Russian soldiers were, were drunk and just like being derelicts throughout the town. Now you compare that kind of soldier with, I've got a, a buddy in Dallas, one of my, one of my friends who's a, he was a former Navy SEAL. And, and they would get stuff done, incredibly disciplined, precise, singular mission versus this soldier who's drunk by 10 a.m. wandering the streets and just getting waylaid, frankly, by a smaller country, less powerful. And I think it's because they're not serious, they're not trained, they're not living like a soldier, they're entangled in civilian affairs. And I think we forget that we're in a war. Ephesians chapter six says you are in a war. Even as you offer your whole life to Christ, like you might as well have stepped into this cosmic unseen war where Satan, you know, he can't take your salvation, but he can take your occupation and your reputation. Your occupation, meaning the Great Commission was just to go and make disciples of all nations. He will keep you stuck. He's like, well, they're saved. No one can snatch them from Jesus' hand. So I'll just like, I'll keep them stuck in their sin and distracted, just like the Russian soldiers. Whereas if we cast off all those entanglements and the sin that so easily ensnares, instead, like you can be spiritual seals, so to say. My, uh, my grandfather-in-law, he had just weeks to live. And literally, I'm like, so what do you believe? And he's like, well, I believe God is in the deer and the mountains and this is my church. And it was like, oh my goodness. Like, and I, I made no, I did not beat around the bush. I was like, duh, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna breathe your last and you will be in hell forever. And he's like, well, I reserve the right to be surprised. I'm like, you will be surprised and you will have no rights. And it's just like hard, 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 hard all that time. And then six weeks before he died, we're at his house and he's sitting in this chair because he couldn't walk anymore. Cancer's just eating him alive. Laura's on her knees pleading with him through tears to trust in Jesus. And then I said, uh, hey, dog, before it gets dark, just say, Jesus, I am a sinner, save me. And that man who told me about the great bog rider, Christ, though he didn't believe in him, repeated those words. He said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. I was like, are you talking to me or did you just pray? Because Jesus is alive. And he said it again, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. And I said, do you wanna pray right now to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead, confessing that he is Lord? And we held hands and that man prayed to receive Christ six weeks before his death. He is the thief on the cross. And I rejoice in that and at the same time, I look at that 92 years and six weeks of it was spent for the Lord. Six weeks. And so he's in heaven rejoicing because Christ saved him out of the bog six weeks before death came. But what if, what if we started living now for Christ 
not just having saved by Christ, but living for him. What if Jesus, the great bog rider, saved you as his sacrifice of his life, and now you sacrificed your life for him? Like, what, what would change? What would God do through you? I would tell you, like, stories like that, people around you will come to faith Not because I just have wishful thinking, but because scripture says it. When he puts a new song in your mouth, others will see, fear God, and put their trust in him. Because it's what he does. And so here's the choice. I said I was going to give you a choice tonight, and the choice is this. I've got a piece of charcoal here, and and throughout the night, you've probably seen in the aisle, like, what, what are the buckets in the aisle? It's a piece of charcoal. There's enough for each one of you. And some of you, you may not be ready to grab it, but some of you, this symbolizes to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. And what we're gonna do is give you an opportunity if you desire tonight to say, Jesus, you get it all. I I now offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And later on, we're going to take these outside for the after party, and they're going to burn. And a fragrant aroma is going to lift up to the heavens. You know when you're walking through your neighborhood, and you smell someone grilling out, and it's like, oh, man, why didn't they invite me over? Like, that smells incredible. That is what a life offered up to Christ smells like. It is the fragrance and aroma of Christ when it is wholly sacrificed. It's just, Jesus, you get it all. And so there's a time now where I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna give you time and space if you are ready to take this step. Don't do it because your buddy's doing it. Don't do it because it's a religious experience. It says in Ecclesiastes, it's better to be silent than to make a vow to God and not keep it. And it doesn't mean you're not gonna send the rest of your life. You're gonna wander back into a bog. But I would tell you that this decision to not just trust Jesus as my savior, but trust him as my Lord. Like you call the shots. Here on out, I don't do anything. Like you're my Lord, living sacrifice. This is where my life changed. It's not because of me. It's because of what he does in you with a fully surrendered life. What the spirit can do with a mindset in accordance with the spirit. And so if you desire, when it's time, grab one of these and you can walk it up to the two fire pits here in the front, then go back to your seat and then worship with a new song in your mouth. Christ, the great bog rider, you were chosen and now you have a choice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, (laughs) the great shepherd of the sheep. Lord, we are the sheep of your pasture and we were dead in our own bog of sin. And you came and you took all that filth upon yourself, all of our sin, and pulled us out. And I think, Lord, just like Psalm 40, that we, were, we are lambs that have been saved, as Romans 12 says, to be sacrificed. We have been saved 
that our lives might be sacrificed for you as, a, as an offering. It's our spiritual, logical act of worship. And Lord, I know that my life changed when I, I no longer just wanted you to save me eternally, but in surrender, ask that you would be Lord of my life. And I pray now that the Spirit would move in my brothers' and sisters' lives. That some of you, they're still in the bog, and I pray that they would, they would cry out to you and that you would, I know, I know you'll go to them. And others have been saved, but they have not yet offered themselves as a sacrifice. So Lord, tonight, may we all in full surrender give ourselves as a living sacrifice. Amen. You know, I am... Um, God has made us body, mind, and soul, and it's all intertwined. It can't be separated out. And so there is something to, I mean, when Jesus would heal people, he would, he would touch them. And I think there's something to our bodies, our mind, and our spirit engaging in an act where you get up, you walk forward, you take something, and you take this, this charcoal that represents you as a sacrifice. And with just a, a prayer or whatever you would say, my life is a living sacrifice. This is your time.